Amen. If you have a Bible, let's open up to Mark chapter 2. As we continue our journey through the Gospel of Mark, I'm getting so blessed because it's all about Jesus, you know, and that's what I want it to be, all about Him. But we pick it up in Mark chapter 2 in verse 13. It says, Then He, speaking of Jesus, went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to Him, and He taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. A couple of things stand out in our study today. Um, in verse 13, we see Jesus teaching. And in verse 14 through 17, we see Jesus reaching. You know, and it might sound a bit odd, but I would even say this. Uh, I, I like, we, we kind of know the word reaching out. Jesus is also teaching out. It's kind of cool. Notice there again in verse 13, then he went out. He went out again by the sea and all the multitudes came to him and he taught them uh, again it sounds a bit odd to point out but I, I think it's significant that jesus went out you know we would use those words and i think it means something it's uh, kind of like if you can just kind of visualize jesus gets up and goes out of the house in order to teach the people. You know, we read something similar in Matthew 13, 1 through 3. It says, On the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and a great multitude were gathered together to him, so that he got into the boat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, and he said this, Behold, a sower went out to sow. It's kind of cool, you know, I don't know, you guys probably can relate to this in certain ways. Even our kids, man, don't you hate it the way that they just stay inside the house? What are they doing? A lot of times, you guys, man, they're playing video games. Okay, so parents, you're here and you're like, oh, bum, yeah, my kids are always playing video games. Well, parents, it's your fault. <laughs> you know, I used to give my kids half hour limit and then sometimes they would go a little longer and I'd put my head, hand on their head and say, your, your brain's burning. You better get up and go out and do something, you know? You remember how it was when we were kids? What would we do? We would go out, we'd play, you know, uh, kickball, riding our bikes, climbing trees. I mean, stuff like that. We got out of the house. And then what can happen is even we as, uh, you know, adults... You know, we stay in the house. Uh, we have kind of like our, our we become homebodies. When, you know, in one sense, the Lord's calling you out. Now, of course, we know this is what Jesus is doing. He's here and he's teaching. He goes out of the house 
by the sea to teach the multitudes. You know, one thing about the Lord, he wasn't, he wasn't lazy, man. He's not just kicking back inside the seclusion and safety of the great indoors. He's not just, you know, chillaxing and relaxing. No, he goes out and about again and again, teaching out by the sea. And the Bible says that the multitudes came to him. And what did he do? He taught them. He taught them, and I think that's significant for us. You know, you know, one of the things you'll see about the Sea of Galilee, it, you go down there to Israel, and I remember looking at the Mount of Beatitudes, and they were telling us about how, you know, you go down by the sea, and then in front of the sea, there was like an incline, and so it was almost like a natural amphitheater. And so the speaker wouldn't necessarily need a PA system. As he spoke, it was so amazing, the, the natural dynamics of the, the, the setting there by the sea would carry the voice. And so, you know, you can visualize that in your mind. Jesus is there, and he's teaching. And for us, I think it's important to know the priority of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he was always teaching the word. You know, if you were here, you might remember we read that last week. If you go back for a second to Mark chapter 2, remember we read in verse 2 immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them, right? You know, prior to that, we read in Mark chapter 1, verse 39, that Jesus went around the cities of Galilee and the synagogues preaching. The word to them. We read that in Mark 139. And then even before that in Mark 121, it says, Then Jesus went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and he taught. And that's why it's so important that we as a church understand the ministry of Christ was primarily a teaching ministry. Emotionalism, that's great, man, but that doesn't get you rooted and grounded. I've seen a lot of people get really emotional and they fall away. Because it was just emotions and not convictions. They weren't rooted in the word. You got to make sure you know your Bible well. And Jesus will be the one to teach you. Because that was a priority that he had. We'll see it again in Mark chapter 4 verse 1. And again and again and again throughout the ministry of Jesus. He taught them. That Greek word didasko. It means to impart instruction. To input doctrine, to explain, to expound. Jesus was the master teacher. You know, I hope it doesn't bring back any painful memories, but do you guys remember when you were in high school, just out of curiosity? And how many of you here remember, going back over your life, you had some pretty significant teachers that were really cool. Anybody here? No, so a couple of you. The rest of you are like, I'd rather not talk about that. But <laughs> every once in a while, man, you get some teachers, and it's just so cool. I remember this one teacher of mine in West Covina High School a couple of years ago, um, Mr. Demke. Oh, my gosh, he was cool. The great teacher. He, you know, was in, we were involved in his preparation and the excitement of the whole thing. And, and I, I don't know, can you imagine how awesome of a teacher Jesus was. You see, that's why these people, that's why the multitude, they, they come to him. I love those words we read in Luke 24, verse 32, after Jesus taught the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. 
Do you remember their reaction? They said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Some teachers, they don't really open the scriptures to us, and yet that's what we're supposed to do. I mean, you look at the Lord and it's just so cool. Our souls, bottom line, are hungry and they need to be fed. And so Jesus is teaching, right, the word. And that's why, just as a quick side note, I just want to just remind you guys always, man, wherever you go to church, wherever you end up, make sure that they're teaching you the Bible, you know. And Paul, writing his last letter to Timothy, in chapter 2, verse 15, he says, hey, study to show yourself approved to God, a worker who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And then in chapter 3, verse 16, same letter, last letter, right before he's going to die, he knows what he's got to pass on to Timothy, the one who would carry the baton. He said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, he's emphasizing the importance of the word. He says, it's the Bible, man. It's God's word. It's theonuptos. It's God-breathed. Make sure, Timothy, in chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, he says, I charge you before God and the judge. You know, the one who's going to, man, everybody's going to stand before him, the living at the dead and in his peering in his kingdom, preach the word. Make sure that it's not just testimony. Make sure that it's not just emotionalism. Make sure it's not just the guy sharing, you know, shooting from the hip. No, Bible's open. And homeboy's teaching me the scriptures. And if not, you know, you call him on it. This is our final authority, and this is what Jesus is doing. He's, he's teaching them. That was the ministry, right? But not only is he teaching out, he's, he's reaching out. Look again there in verse 14. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. The first thing we see is Jesus' invitation to a single sinner. Did you guys know that sometimes all it takes is an invitation? You know, you see somebody and they're, you know, kicking back on the side and for whatever reason you kind of feel a little something inside that, you know, Lord is saying, I want you to invite them. You know, and we got little business cards, or you might have something going on, and, and just a little invitation. Here we see Jesus' invitation to a single sinner. This would be Levi, also known as Matthew, and he's in the tax office there in Capernaum. Now, this particular tax office would be significant. I mean, Matthew would be very, very rich because of the location of the tax office. You know, for this place in Capernaum, it was a road, it was a route that connected Mesopotamia, it connected Asia Minor, it connected Europe, all those sections, it connected them to Africa. And so they say Galilee was one of the great road centers of the ancient world, and as a matter of fact, there was a saying that said Galilee is on the way to everywhere. That's how big this road was. It was the great road of the sea led down from Damascus by way of Galilee through Capernaum, down past Carmel, along the plain of Sharon, through Gaza, and on the way to Egypt. 
And so all that to tell you this, Matthew had a lot of money. How many of you here would like to have a lot of money? Just out of curiosity, man. You know what? It might mess you up, so be careful with that, right? Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Anyways, here's Matthew. He has some money. And, you know, the thing about tax collectors, however, I don't know how you guys, you guys like paying taxes? Um, Not really, huh? You know, we kind of all hate taxes, uh, and we definitely have a problem with crooked tax collectors, and that's who Matthew was. The thing about these guys in those days is that people never knew just how much they had to pay. The tax collectors extracted from them as much as they could get, and they would line their own pockets with the surplus that remained after the demands of the law had been met. And so they were tacking on extra charges. They were getting rich off the people. Everybody knew it. Therefore, they were hated. They were kind of like considered the worst. Everybody hated them except Jesus. I'm, I'm willing to say almost, you know, betting the bank that everybody hated him except his fellow tax collectors and Jesus. And so what happens? The Lord's passing by, and, you know, there's no doubt about it. Levi, you know, Matthew, he probably heard the Lord teach. There was something stirring inside of his heart, calling him in that direction. But, you know, I'll bet you almost anything he's thinking, man, but the Lord would never be interested in someone like me. But then, you know, one day the Lord's walking by, the Lord sees him, and the Lord knows. And and so he calls him, and, you know, he extends that invitation. You know, just in case, maybe you're here today, and you're like, I don't even know what I'm doing in this church. I mean, maybe you feel like you're a tax collector, that you've done bad, that you're too far, that the Lord is not interested in someone like you. Whatever it is that you've done wrong for so long, I want you to know that's the farthest thing from the truth. That's why the Lord would call a a tax collector. That's why the Lord would save someone like Saul and use him as a trophy and a testimony to tell everyone that he is able to forgive you of your sins, no matter what you've done and set you right back on that rock where you belong. You know, you might even be here today and you feel like confused about Christianity because you're like, man, I don't know, like, how does it work, you know? And what, what is it, what do I need to do? I'll tell you what, two words. From the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ, follow me. I love that. I mean, he just calls Matthew and he calls Peter and he calls Andrew and he calls James and he calls John and he just calls us. He calls us. My sheep know my voice, and they follow me. You know, Peter's worried about John. Laura says, don't worry about, don't worry about him. You follow me. I'm telling you this. That's how you get saved. That's how you serve. That's how you get sanctified. We don't want to complicate this. This is not a sophisticated thing. It's a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You, we, Follow him. And that's what, Matthew, that's what Matthew's called to. And so Jesus extends this invitation, 
And Luke 5, verse 28, it gives us more details. It says, so he left all, rose up, and followed him. And that's, that's, that's crazy. I mean, the guy's got so much money. He's got his position. He's got his place. He's got, this is his life. But I tell you what, man, that exchange life, I, I tell you what, you change your life in and he'll give you his life. That's what Matthew would experience. And so we see, first of all, Jesus' invitation to a single sinner, which led, secondly, to Jesus' conversation with many sinners. Look again at verse 15. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. Again, Luke provides more details. In Luke 5.29, it says, Then Levi gave him a great feast. I mean, Levi, he just can't believe it. I can't believe the Lord wants me. Yeah, he loves you. No matter who you are. Well, my dad didn't love me. My mom didn't love me. My friends, man, they never picked me for kickball. I always had to sit on the side and watch. And, you know, it seems like no one's ever really been interested in me. And they kind of, what ends up happening a lot of times in life, and you might get abused and you might get beat down and put down by your parents all your life. And you can't, and you just, and, and you just, it's hard sometimes to believe that God is in love with you. That before he ever flung a star into the sky, he thought of you. And it's hard sometimes because we live in a fallen world and fallen bodies. We're fighting fallen angels. And it's hard sometimes, you know, because of all the things that we've gone through. But to just really get my, my mind around that truth that God, that almighty God loves me. And has a plan for my life, but you got to know that. And what the Lord is, is demonstrating here is that truth. You know, so once Matthew finds out that Jesus is interested in him, he throws him a, a feast. And as he's there, it's fascinating to me, really, when you look at the Lord Jesus Christ, how sinners were drawn to him. You know, in Matthew 9, that's a parallel account as well. It says it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him. You know, have you guys ever gone like to a dinner or, I don't know, a function and you got like different tables to choose from? And so you're, you're doing the, the whatever, the, making the decision, who should I sit with? Oh, I don't like them. They, they, they don't like me in that table, so... <laughs> To me, it's cool. It's like, hey, Jesus is sitting at that table. Let's go sit down with him. Sinners. Sinners. There was something about Jesus Christ where sinners were drawn towards him. Totally different than the religious leaders of the day. You see, Jesus' invitation to a single sinner led to a conversation with many sinners. And then it led to a conversion of these sinners. Notice again there in verse 15, it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners, and who knows what those sinners were doing, use your imagination, they also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and notice this, you might want to circle it in your Bible, and they followed him. What does that mean? 
What does that mean? It means that a whole bunch of guys that everyone had given up on, that were on their way to hell, are now on their way to heaven. Oh, man. And so you would figure that's good, right? I mean, that's all good, right? Everybody's got to be cool with that, right? Wrong. Look at the next verse again. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it? They just can't even begin to understand. How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Really, guys in the church, guys that have positions, False prophets, unsaved, uncaring, unloving, self-righteous, self-involved, nauseating nonsense. From those who were the religious leaders of the day, the scribes were supposed to be the experts in the law, and the Pharisees were esteemed by the masses because of the sham of a show that they put on to appear righteous before men, but it was only a religion. It was not a relationship. It was only on the outside, not on the inside. It was only on their lips. It was not their life. You read 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, and it's all about the gifts of God, and praise God for that. But to tell you what, between 12 and 14 is chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. It's about the love of God. By this, all will know you're my disciples when you have love for one another. Oh, we got laws. Oh, I'm so proud of you. Uh, We got rules. We got regulations. We got boundaries. We got barriers. That's cool. Let me ask you a question. Do you got love? Jesus had love for people. The most precious commodity on planet Earth. People. And so, you know, it's crazy. I mean, these guys... And in one sense, it's understandable that they would be used by the enemy or at least try to be because, you know, Jesus' invitation and conversation, you know, that we would see the opposition from the scribes and Pharisees who, in one sense, were kind of like cowards because they went to the disciples, right? Probably trying to create some type of division right there, right? I, I don't think they were invited, to be honest with you. You want to know what was going on here, and you got to follow it when you go through the Gospels, is that these guys were sent from Jerusalem. I want to spy on this guy. See if he's right on or not. See if he dots every I, crosses every T, and does things according to our standards. The problem is your standards are not God's standards. You know, uh, William Barclay, he said this, By the Orthodox, it was forbidden to have anything to do with these people. The strict law keeper must have no fellowship with them at all. He must not talk with them nor go on a journey with them. As far as possible, he must not even do business with them. He must not accept hospitality or give hospitality to such sinners. And there are, there are, there are some Christians like that. I mean, I remember hearing a study by, by, by Charles Wendall and he asked the question of the church. He said, when was the last time that you had uh, uh, a dinner with someone who was as, just as lost as a lizard? And I'm, 
I don't know if lizards get lost, to be honest with you. I just see them doing push-ups in my backyard, but <laughs> I know what he's talking. I know what he's saying, though, because, you know, I'm a pastor, and I do a lot of Christian stuff, and, 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 and then I have to search my own heart, and you have to search your own heart. Seriously, when was the last time you volitionally hung out with a sinner to reach out to a sinner. Or you're like, well, I, I work with them, Manny, every day. Well, that doesn't count. Sorry, man. You're stuck there. And then I do encourage you to be lights, uh, and not some self-righteous, obnoxious Pharisee of a Christian at your work. But, you know, you got to really search your heart. I mean, this is, this is what the Lord did. I think what can happen a lot of times, like we saw in the video, you know, as we see somebody and they're tatted down or whatever, they're not dressed the right way or maybe they don't even use your Christian cliches and it just, it just bugs you or they might even spew out a, a word that's foul language and, and you're like, oh, Mio, come here, come here, hurry, let's go. And, and you're like, man, we got to stay away from people like that. And the Lord is kind of saying, well, isn't that kind of why you're there? You're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world, because I want you to reach the world. And so we, you know, and again, it's a personal conviction between you and God, but we boycott everything that's bad. And the Lord is just like, wow, man, I kind of wanted to reach them. But we live in our bubble. And, and, and that's what we're going we're gonna to talk about this. You know, like, I'll give you an example. Like, um, I thank God when I got saved. Uh, when I got saved, God took the desire for drugs and alcohol away from me. Prior to being saved, the whole time that I can remember, I mean, I started smoking when I was seven. I was drinking with my dad. I mean, not like all the time, but remember smoking cigarettes or drinking little beers with my dad there in Garvey. And, you know, I started drinking at a very young age. But when I got saved, he took it all away. I mean, instantly. That moment when I got saved, he took it all away. And so, you know, if I go to a family function, um, I thank God. I'm not drawn to that. You know, I, I, I'm not. It's by the grace of God. Maybe you're here today and you're like, well, Manny, if I were to go, then I would fall down. Then I would say, then you better not go. But I would say this, that strengthen your relationship with God so that the day would come so you could go maybe to that family function and reach out to those people who are going to hell. See, the mission is, is fairly simple. I want to go to heaven and take as many people with me as I can. And there is a dying world out there that we sometimes as Christians, we settle and we stay in the sanctuary and we don't go out to teach and we go, don't go out to reach. And we're like these Pharisees. I mean, if you're here and you look down on, on people, on anyone, I mean, I tell you what, you're, you know, they're so bad. Let me say something. You are worse. You are worse. We can't do that. I mean, as a matter of fact, you know, we still fall short. I still fall short. 
you know, I don't, I don't sin, you know, volitionally. I try not to, but I, I stumble. I'm still a sinner. Saved by grace. You know, there's a real fascinating passage over in Isaiah 65. Keep your marker here in Mark 2, and if you would, go over to Isaiah 65, and look what it says in verse 1, it's weird because it's like everything we're studying in Mark. It says in verse 1, I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. Now, that's actually in reference to the, the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And the reason I know that is because of Romans chapter 10, verse 20 through 21, where Paul identifies this as the Gentiles, and then he identifies the, the next few passages as the Jews. So, you know, the Lord was found by, by the, the Gentiles, by these people that weren't really looking for him, you know, the sinners. But look at verse 2. Now he's talking about Israel. I have stretched my, my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts. A people who provoke me to anger continually to my face, who sacrifice in gardens and burn incense on altars of brick, who sit among the graves and spend the night in the tombs, who eat swine flesh and the broth of abominable things is in their vessels. What ends up happening to Israel is they become worse than the heathen. But look what it says next. It says, Who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am holier than you. That's crazy. But that's what the Pharisees were doing. I mean, we can't, we can't, we can't come near them with a 10-foot pole. I mean, the Pharisees were so bad that if there was a leper and the wind was blowing, they, were like, they would get out of the way, make sure that none of that wind touched them because they thought they would be contaminated. The Pharisees would go and they would pray, Lord, thank you, I'm not a woman. Thank you, I'm not a Gentile. And thank you, I'm not like a sinner like this guy. I fast, I tithe, I do all the good things. Maybe you're here today and you think that you're, you're like God's greatest gift to the church. And you're, you're here, you're calling. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, man, my calling is to set everybody straight. So filled with yourself. But then remember what Jesus said? And then there was a, a tax collector and he couldn't even lift up his eyes. And he just said, be merciful to me. And he just beat his breast. He said, be merciful to me, a sinner. And what did the Lord say? The Lord said, that guy, he's, he's forgiven. He goes home to his house and he's righteous. The other guy, he was just talking to himself. I, 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 it's a warning. When we get to heaven, we're going to be so surprised by some who, who aren't there. We're like, wait a minute, they're not here? No, they, they never really knew the Lord. And we're going to be surprised by some who did. Wow, you're here? Wow. <laughs> Why is that? It's because we're, we're sinners saved by grace. Be careful. You go back to Mark chapter 2. 
And what you find is it's Jesus' invitation to a single sinner leads to Jesus' conversation and then conversion of many sinners, which then leads to Jesus' opposition from the religious sinners. And then the last thing is Jesus' salvation for those who know they're sinners. In verse 17, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. He's trying to tell them, this is why I, I hang out with him. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, these religious leaders were self-righteous sinners, but the problem is they didn't know they were sinners. And they were 100% off base in thinking that God didn't care, that God wouldn't dare go anywhere near sinners. And so Jesus tries to teach them this, and this is why he's hanging out with the crowd. You know, you read that and you might think, well, maybe Jesus is telling them that they're not sick. Not really. As a matter of fact, one translation puts it this way. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So let me ask you a question. Do you know you're a filthy sinner? Let me just ask you that. Do you know that? All right, good. That's where it starts, man. Do you know that? Well, Manny, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I think I'm okay. God doesn't grade on a curve. We're sick. This place right here, and again, um, that, that, that last word in verse 17 is so important. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You might want to circle that word repentance. You know, we don't go and just hang out with them and just say, oh, I love you, God's good, peace, and then you're out. No, you know, we, we go and we share and we shine and we love and we ask God for wisdom. Lord, how can I reel them into that place where they'll, you know, they'll turn from their sins and trust in you as Lord and Savior? How can I bring them, Lord, to that place of repentance? You see, it's not that we're light on sin. It's just that we know the way the kingdom of God operates. And so, you know, we look at this, and, and, and what do we go away with? I, I can't believe you guys, somebody probably moved that clock right there. I, I, <laughs> you know, um, one thing I do want to share, just maybe in the side note, you can write down this passage, Psalm 25a. One of my, this is such a cool verse. It says, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he teaches sinners in the way. I like that. C.H. Spurgeon said, We may not conclude from God's goodness that he will save those sinners who continue to wander in their own ways, but we may be assured that he will renew transgressors' hearts and guide them into the way of holiness. Let those who desire to be delivered from sin, are you here and you want to be delivered from sin? He says, Let those who desire to be delivered from sin take comfort from this. God himself will condescend to be the teacher of sinners. And so what do we go away with? Um, number one, the practice of Christ and Christians is teaching and reaching out. Don't ever forget that. That's what Jesus does. You know, number two, 
Pray that God would make you strong enough to hang out with and reach out to sinners. And then I would even say, you know, you get with your, your friends, your wife, whoever it is that you, you know, got to make plans with, and you just say, hey, how can we reach out to somebody? And then, and then number three, I want to share this with you guys. If you're here today and you're struggling, you know, you're, you're struggling with some type of sin, some type of porn or drugs or alcohol or, you know, there's real deep, deep problems in your marriage or with your kids or maybe you're a kid and you're struggling. You know, you guys got to, Make sure that you know in our study today, I pray that you've seen from the scriptures what a wonderful Savior that we have. That no matter what you have done wrong, and it might be extreme, no matter what you've done wrong, no matter how long it's been, the promise of God is this, that if you'd be willing to acknowledge that sin, and you'd be willing to turn from it today, I would encourage you today, just lay it all down. Right here, right now, you do business with God. And not just turn away from your sin or your unbelief, but you turn to Jesus. And this is all he's saying. I don't want to complicate it. I don't want to sophisticate it. Follow me. If you'd be willing to do that today, he'll change your life. He'll write your name in the book of life. He'll bless your life. That's the God that we serve. Father, we thank you for just loving us.